This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast, recorded Thursday, the 21st of December, 2017. Episode 26, This Isn't Going to Go the Way You Think. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection, the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. And uh, with the time and everything, I suppose this edition is uh, a Christmas edition of The Intersection. And in the spirit of Christmas, I've got a treat for you. It's the return of our resident film aficionado, Bronson Green. Bronson, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, great as always. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back. How are you? How's it all going? Yeah, not too bad. It's been okay. You know, we're just getting ready to sort of wind down for Christmas. Um, and um, we've got a, you know, we've got a lot to discuss in this particular edition of the podcast. And just to uh, fill the listeners in, obviously, um, we're going to be discussing um, Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Uh, both Bronson and myself went to see that last week. And there was quite a lot to take in and there's a lot to say. So I figured rather than sort of... Um, you know, just jumping in with uh, our immediate reactions. I thought we'd give it about a week to to, to, to settle and uh, for the dust to settle and for us to uh, compose our thoughts and our opinions because there's been a lot of chatter out there about this movie. Um, I So, Bronson, um, it's been a week. You've seen um, The Last Jedi once, I believe. Um, That's right. I've seen it twice. Um, I had to take my kids, so I, I, I saw it twice. Not out of choice. Um, before we go uh-huh. any... F- <laughs> yeah. Before we go any further, I just wanted to... Just to stress that this is going to be quite a spoiler-heavy podcast, so if any of you out there haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want to be completely spoiled, don't listen just yet. Come back when you've seen it. Um but yeah, I mean, before we, we sort of jump into sort of deconstructing this movie and criticizing it where it needs to be criticized, um, I just want to stress to our, to our listeners that, you know, Star Wars obviously means, means a lot to us. I mean, I myself personally, I grew up on the Star Wars franchise. The first movie I remember seeing ever in the cinema was Return of the Jedi. My dad, um, you know, I grew up wanting to be Luke Skywalker. I loved the whole mythology of, of the Jedi and the Force. And I just loved everything about Star Wars. And as a kid, I loved the characters. Um, and getting older as an adult, um, I, 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 I learned to appreciate the meaning behind the mythology. Um, so Star Wars means an awful lot to me. Um, so whatever I'm about to say about this movie, I'm not saying it lightly. Bronson, what are your thoughts on Star Wars? And what does it mean to you? Yeah, that's actually a really good uh, idea to just preface um, today's discussion with what it means to us. I mean, I wasn't one of those 10-year-olds in 1977 or 12-year-olds who got swept away by the first one. And and I think to those people, it probably means even more. And I've even heard stories from people from that era. So 
I grew up um, with the movie on VHS in the 80s. I actually, I remember sitting down watching A New Hope on TV when I was about four with my with my brother and sister. You know, it's quite an event. And then watching it and re-watching it on, on videotape and, and renting out the other two movies from, from the, the rental store, stuff like that. And then throughout the 90s, buying the odd bit of merchandise here and there before the internet, you know, it was Star Wars. It, it, it was obvious um, that it was a, that had many followers and very, very many dedicated followers. And yeah, it means, it does mean an awful lot to us. You know, we, we don't say anything in a glib or flippant way. Our, um, our criticisms are very, um, you know, we, we, we ponder very carefully what we say before we say it. And do you know what? In fact, fun enough, um, I think anyone who's listened to this podcast before, they, they know anyway what our opinion is on the direction Star Wars has taken. Yeah, especially after and The Force Awakens, yeah. Yeah, we gave, we gave our comments about that movie plenty of times, yeah. It's been well documented, but we've even discussed it to death. So we, um, I, I don't want to, I'm not a hater, I don't want to go on and on about negativity. You know, I want to like the movies that I watch at the cinema, I really do. I don't go into them as a curmudgeon looking to, walk out with, with all guns blazing, criticizing them left, right and center. You know, we, we want to be swept off our feet and entertained by films. Um, so yeah, we, we should preface our discussion by saying that. And, uh, and, and also, like I say, it's been well documented, especially on this podcast, that the, the kind of commercial um, direction Disney have taken with Star Wars, me and you aren't great fans of that. But even having said all that, we went into The Last Jedi with as much of a blank slate in our minds as possible didn't we absolutely absolutely and although we were it's fair to say we were both disappointed with um the force awakens and i didn't want to expect too much of the last jedi the inner child in me the inner child that will never die was really you know as we approached the you know the release date the release night of the movie we were i was really excited really pumped up and, and you know really looking forward to seeing it because at the end of the day seeing Star Wars on the big screen is always a special experience. Yeah, absolutely. When that um, star field is on screen and the big words come up and then they recede into the background, um, you, you get a little tingle, don't you? Absolutely. absolutely. It, is, it is special. So we, I mean, that, it's got so much credit in the bank with people like us that we're, we're always willing to, to get on board and and uh, give these movies a chance and and like for example Rogue One as a spin-off I really really enjoyed it I thought it was a good film and you know actually it was on TV today I was just as I was channel surfing it's a little bit boring if I'm to be honest but as a spin-off you know we, you don't have to be so harsh on it as I've said before I almost looked at Rogue One as I look at the other spin-offs in the Star Wars franchise whether they be comics or be books um as long as they reach a certain level you're you're okay aren't you but these saga films that that's um a different uh sort of kettle of fish entirely isn't it yeah i mean this is to me um this this is the mythology this is a continuation of the skywalker story but at least that's my expectation and um so i mean the first immediate thought i have is that this movie made me appreciate J.J. Abrams. And let me explain why. I didn't like The Force Awakens too much. I thought it was too safe. I thought it was a beat-for-beat retread of A New Hope. And I thought that was a cheap trick to pull. And it was just kind of just conning. And I'll use the word conning. Conning the core fan base with nostalgia. 
I now appreciate how disciplined that movie was in terms of the way it was constructed because like it or hate it, it felt like a Star Wars movie. Yeah, the way it was constructed, the way it was edited. Yeah, absolutely. It felt like a Star Wars movie. This movie, The Last Jedi, is all over the place and it does not feel like a Star Wars movie. Maybe now and again it does. But overall, it, from the very beginning, actually, it felt like a mess. And like I said, I've seen it twice now. And I thought, okay, maybe seeing it the second time, my opinion would change. It hasn't changed. I think worse of the movie now than I did after the first time seeing it. But I do want to say that as a standalone popcorn flick, it's quite entertaining. It's quite enjoyable. Um, but as a next installment in the, in the Star Wars saga, it's a friggin' travesty. And those are my uh, opinions. Well... You said it was okay as a, a generic popcorn blockbuster. Um, I would say it was, it's barely acceptable as a generic popcorn blockbuster. Um, I think it's an absolute mess, like you say, from start to finish. And for and it's not just because of one or two reasons. It's for kind of like a dozen reasons. And that's what really shocked me. So the opening scroll first of all, is completely redundant. Yeah. And that's that's their own fault because they already decided that they were going to pick up episode 8 exactly where episode 7 left off. When I read that opening scroll, I thought it's the most useless scroll that we've ever seen. It didn't inform us of anything new. There was no point in it being there. But to be and fair, then, to be fair, to be fair, that's not Brian Johnson, the director's fault, really, because I'm, I mean, I, I, I remember he, he, he gave a lot of interviews before the film was released and talking about how he agonized about writing that scroll. And in actual fact, he didn't get around to, to writing it till well after the film was, you know, had, had, had finished, um, you know, um, he finished shooting the movie um, and he asked George Lucas for advice, etc., etc. And the problem is that J.J. Abrams with The Force Awakens left him in a spot because it ends off, as we know, with, um, you know, Ray presenting Luke with his lightsaber. And and so the film had no choice but to pick up immediately um, after the events of The Force Awakens. So what can you yeah. say in a scroll? So in this new, in this scroll of episode eight, it, it's really strange because it, it, it talks about how the First Order reigns. Well, didn't we just see the Resistance defeat the First Order in the sense that um, they had a major victory by blowing up Death Star 3? Um... It's almost a, a, a scroll that would fit in, uh, would fit in with, with The Force Awakens. It describes the situation in the galaxy prior to that movie actually beginning, rather than what's happening in the here and now. And I just found it very odd. And, I, and, I, and as soon as that came up, I thought we were in trouble. Yes, yeah, the alarm bells went off. And you're right, it's not Ryan Johnson's fault, but it's just, it's, it demonstrates what a mess the whole conception of this trilogy is doesn't it? Absolutely. Because that was, yeah, that was the other thing. I remember as a kid when we rented out The Empire Strikes Back and then The Return Jedi and you sit down and you look at those characters and, and you know, it's several years on from when you saw them last time and you're almost, your mind's immediately playing catch-up, isn't it? And, and that's good. It keeps you on your toes as a viewer. Whereas this film, you, you just plunge right back into that universe and you're 100% right. When did they have a chance to um, sort of reform this is both the resistance and the first order 
and get into another skirmish in space? Shouldn't they have been both of them licking their wounds to a certain degree? Um, so chronologically, it didn't make any sense for the film to open with the space battle and then cut to Acto or wherever it is um, where Luke and Ray are. It, 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 it was it's a mess chronologically and every. But then also in that opening scene, that that glib humour where, where they're trying to be funny with the way Poe Dameron's talking to. Um, is it is it Hux? Yeah, I mean that was at the beginning. That was at the beginning. It was essentially um, he was trolling him. You know, it, it was uh, it was a prank phone call. <laughs> That's what it was. Um, yeah. And that was that sort of goofball humor. Way too soon. Way too soon. Right at the beginning of the movie, it took me out of the movie at the beginning. It was crazy. And then I just had a sinking feeling as that kind of joke went on and on and on. And you were talking about, you know, the, 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 the space battle at the beginning. But ironically, that exchange between Poe Dameron and Hux slowed the film down. I felt yeah. it slowed the film down. Yeah. And I, I had that sinking feeling right from the start. Like, what the heck is this? Yeah, the, if, if they just... Um, if, if that joke hadn't gone on so long... It, it might have been kind of okay because we saw Poe doing something similar with Kylo Ren doing at the start of Force Awakens. Okay, so we yeah. know we know that's the type of character he is. But you're right, it just went on and on. And it was almost like he was playing to the gallery, the kids who hang out in malls who basically, you know, tr- take these movies in a slightly more trivial way than what, what me and you do. Um, but then the other thing is, when the space battle started, I don't think you noticed this so much because we chatted about it briefly after the film, the special effects were kind of poor and I was, I was shocked because Star Wars in terms of um, what you can do with cinema and special effects, it's always been a pioneer. It's always been the state of the art. You go to a Star Wars film to see what is the latest advance. And in this film, I was looking at some of the, the way the space battles were rendered. And for the first time ever, I was seeing like blur where you couldn't really see spaceships properly your eyes couldn't focus on them because they were blurry and i think i've seen this more and more in films i saw it a lot in the um alien covenant as well when you don't uh perhaps you're running out of time or you just don't have the money the budget and you kind of do special effects in a cheap way to try and get away with it so you haven't rendered them with the full power and 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 you you haven't had your digital artists working on the on the effects long enough again because of time and money it it looked like they'd cut corners and that actually continued throughout the whole film i've got a real feeling that from because making a film is like going to war and the director is the general and he really from pre-production right through to um post he he sort of really sets the tone for everything and I think Ryan Johnson, he's probably a little bit of an amateur and he's probably surrounded himself with people who aren't that good at his jobs. I noticed the special effects supervisors on the films are not the normal ones. For example, John Knoll, who, who did the, who, who actually came up with the idea for Rogue yeah. One and special effects supervisor on Rogue One. He was also one of the big guys on the prequels along with people like, um, is it, is it Pablo Hellman, Rob Coleman? I think, I, I think I've got those names right. Apologies if I haven't. Um, you could tell those guys were at the very top of their field. The people working on this film, I've got a feeling they weren't. And that's another thing that alarmed me. This is within the first five to ten minutes of this film. You talk about a sinking feeling. I was sitting there with my jaw on the ground, and I was, you know, I was really. It, it had a, a physical effect on my body. I was shocked at how bad 
everything was that I was watching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good point that you raise about the old um, Lucasfilm family being uh, disbanded. I mean, yeah, the old, even if you go beyond special effects, you got, you know, um, your, your modeling, the people like Doug Chang and, and uh, even with the editing, uh, Ben Burt, all those people have gone. So it does, the old guard have been completely removed from this and, 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 and it does show. It really does show. And um, just felt like the quality control is gone, didn't it? I guess. In, in every, guess in every yeah. Yeah. creative and technically. Yeah, and you and you don't have um, that auteur, and, which you had in George Lucas, you know, taking at the helm. You just don't. And the and it's interesting you're talking about um, the kind of blurred effects. So basically, that's the modern version of Vaseline on the lens, um, just to cut corners when they can't sort of. I don't know if if, if it's to do with you know the budget constraints or whatever, but um, to to render to render 3D models at, 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 at optimum quality, I guess, yeah, the cheap way of disguising things is to blur things out. Um, yeah, say what you want about The Force Awakens and Rogue One, but the special effects in both those films were absolutely magnificent. They were beyond reproach, the special effects. Okay, okay. I noticed in those also, two films. Yeah. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm hating on Disney. I mean, they got the technical part of it right with those two films. They've just got it all wrong with this one, haven't they? I think so. I think so. And um, I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much about in, at this stage, but obviously the, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of um, uh, key scenes and set pieces uh, set set in dark at night. So obviously, again, that was a, a way of sort of disguising um, a lot of the, um, the well, the quality of, of the uh, the CG uh, that was used in in some of the characters, and the aliens, etc. Absolutely, that's how you save money. Yeah, you just sort of shoot shoot the scene at night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, gosh, where do I start with this? I, I, I mean, first of all, this is, this is the longest Star Wars film yet. They made a big song and dance about this. You know, it's the longest one yet. Um, and yet to me, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I can't get enough of Star Wars. It, this film felt like it was 30 minutes too long. Um, and a lot of the complaints out there were to do with a lot of the subplot. For example, um, Finn and this new character, Rose, going on a little adventure looking for a code breaker. Um, and in effect, it, it doesn't make a blind bit of difference in, in terms of the story. It's a complete waste of time. So it feels like 30 minutes too long. Ryan Johnson has said that there's 20 minutes of fully edited, deleted scenes coming in on the Blu-ray and he had problems cutting it down in the first place. Um, you know, and... <sighs> I just think about this movie and it just doesn't seem to be a plot. So basically what's happened is um, at the end of the force awakens, you've got the, re um, the resistance who have just blown up death star three. Was it sky killer base or whatever? Um, star killer base, star killer base. I should have got that right. Star killer base. Um, and um, so they're being pursued by the first order. They tried to escape, um, by, you know, traveling through hyperspace they find out that the first order has a way of tracking them through hyperspace. So they want to find um, a, a way of um, disabling their ability to track them. And they are running out of fuel. And that is essentially the plot of the movie. They are running out of fuel and they're being pursued. Yeah, Mad, Mad Max in space. Almost. Um, now, again, I don't want to slate Ryan Johnson too much. He seems like a nice guy. Um, he seems like quite a humble guy in, in his interviews. He doesn't have the arrogance of J.J. Abrams. He seems to have an appreciation of this is what baffles me. He seems to have appreciation of Star Wars and of George Lucas as genius. You know, he even 
defends the prequels. He appreciates, you know, the the, the um, um, he, he appreciates what the prequels have to offer. Um, and his attitude is unlike uh, the rest of them at, in the House of Mouse right now. Um, and I kind of thought, okay, this is a cool guy. He may do a good job because he seemed very, um, very afraid, actually, very anxious about um, the potential of disappointing the fans. He didn't want to disappoint the fans. Um, but he has disappointed the fans. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, being a nice guy and being humble is uh, is irrelevant if you're um, incompetent. I mean, uh, he's probably not a particularly good filmmaker. The, the other thing people forget is when it, when it comes to the classic films, which kind of created the template that's now used by Hollywood for virtually every blockbuster. The original films I'm talking about, of course, are Jaws in '76 and New Hope '77, and also Raiders of the Lost Ark. Th- those films where Hollywood realised, oh, okay, if you just have a film with an action sequence every ten minutes and a bit of humour, um, you can you can fill theatres out. If you look at those films, people almost take it for granted just how talented Lucas and Spielberg are, purely as um, students of the cinema in terms of framing, camera move, tempo, uh, filling the frame with detail every inch of it, and um, that kind of. Uh, level of talent it's just not been I mean J.J. Abrams is um, a good imitator of that but Ryan Johnson it would appear he is seriously lacking mm. uh, as a technician as an artist in, in so many ways if, if, if this is the first Ryan Johnson film you've seen then uh, and actually come to think of it it is for me because I never watched Looper I just I got the impression this is a guy who's a bit, a bit of an amateur who's made this film you know, I got that impression, and that that that's shocking, isn't it? And he might be a nice guy, and, and you know, great, you know, oh, terrific, but but he's kind of ruined Star Wars for me. Um, well, he's even more so. Um, and it, what you said, you um, picked on a on a good point there about the, right the length of it, right? And it's incredibly badly paced. And the MacGuffin that you mentioned, the tracking MacGuffin, it's got to be the worst MacGuffin ever in the history of uh, any blockbuster I think I've ever seen. Yeah, and, it's far too convoluted. Yeah. And, then, and then also, whatever happened to the planets and the world building that we come to expect as standard from Star Wars? I mean, you look at something like Revenge of the Sith, in that film we visit like eight or nine or ten planets, don't we? Um, you truly feel like you're in a galaxy far, far away and an interconnected kind of universe. In this film, so many scenes are set in caves and in corridors and ships. A little bit like the criticism I had of Blade Runner 20, um, 2046, was it called? Or 2049. 2049, 2049. Yeah. Beg, yeah. Beg your pardon, everybody, sorry. Um, but a little bit like that criticism where I, I criticised the director for, for shooting so many scenes where it just there's not enough depth in, in each frame. And, and you've kind of got that going on again here and... Um, it just, it didn't feel epic. It didn't feel like a $250 million film if that's what they spent on it. And another disturbing thing, you know, I'm criticizing Ryan Johnson here. So I've got to, I've got to justify this. I heard quite early on in the principal photography, just before they started shooting, when they were building the sets for this thing in the UK, I think George Lucas came and visited. Yeah. I heard that story. Yeah. He <laughs> was a bit grumpy, he, wasn't he? he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they call him Grumpy. He basically said he saw that they were building about 100 sets. And he said, why are you building everything? You don't need to. You only need to build this, 
this, this, this can be a matte painting, this can be a digital matte, this can be a background, this can, you can do with green screen, this, this you should build, this you can partially build. And I, I think, you know, they criticized him, said he was grumpy or whatever, but uh, he was probably right, because if you look at how tightly um, constructed um, the Star Wars movies are generally, they come in for a budget a lot lower than your average Hollywood blockbuster, because Hollywood blockbuster budgets are inflated by many things, including like the rates that you have to pay everyone because they're all union members. And I'm sure there's inflated prices on, on many things going on because, you know, yes, that that's kind of how certain industries work and particularly Hollywood. Mm. Um, but, and that's one of the reasons Hollywood actually hates Lucas because he was independent, wasn't he? He's in, he was in San Francisco, not actually in Los Angeles, making his films non-union, uh, funded by himself, of course, and, and if you're funding it with your own money, you're going to run a really tight chip because you're, you're not going to want to waste a penny. I think, I think Phantom Menace, which is an epic, huge film, only cost about $90 million to make, which at the time was incredible. You know, and this film does not look like a $250 million film. And um, again, I think that all comes down to the pre-production. The various, I mean, if, Ryan, if this is a war making that film, Ryan Johnson's the general. I mean, you've got lieutenants, so you've got location manager, you've got production designers, you've got uh, assistant directors, assistant producers. He, he, I think he's just surrounded himself here with a crew that they just weren't that good at what they were doing. So that this film, not only from a like creative point of view in terms of the narrative and everything, is, is a really poor film in my opinion. But the technical, from the technical point of view, is so rough around the edges that that's another thing I, I was not expecting. Yeah, yeah, and 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 and. It's, uh, it's it's really surprising actually but then um maybe it's not maybe it's a case of disney knowing that okay so we we paid how much did they pay for the franchise was it four billion 4.5 billion us dollars four billion and plus lucas got a bunch of shares didn't he yeah yeah um and it's a case of well there's a core fan base who as long as we um you know we've got the checklist of things that you know these movies must include and as long as they include those things you know, we'll give it to any director. They can do whatever they want. They can write whatever they want. They don't have to be true to, um, you know, what was what was before um, in terms of what makes Star Wars Star Wars and, what, and in terms of the Skywalker story, um, in terms of the, um, the, the, um, the, the quality that's expected through um, the visual effects and, and everything. As long as you check these things off, you include X-Wings, TIE Fighters, Chewbacca, you know, you can do what you want. And, and, and it seems like, in a weird way, Disney don't really care. It seems like they're taking the fan base for granted. Although, <laughs> they're going to be awake now because I, I can't... It's really strange because the fan base seems to hate this movie. And they were a lot more forgiving about The Force Awakens. And I didn't think The Force Awakens was that great, but you know, a lot of them did. But the fan base, the vast majority seem to hate this movie. And what makes it really strange is that all of the large blogs that are out there and all, all, all of the major, you know, the, the main sort of the newspapers, the magazines and all, all the print media, everything, um, all the big players love this movie. And I've heard quotes like, oh, it's absolutely brilliant. It's the best one since Empire Strikes Back. And, and you just hear a different story from the fans. And I'm a little bit suspicious about whether the Disney machine is sort of influencing certain things. The story that you just explained there where the mainstream critics and a lot of vloggers and whatever, they seem to like it. And yet 
Um, a great example is, of course, IMDb, where if you go, I think it's like 150,000 people have rated the film. It's got an average of about 8 out of 10. Yep. Um, and then you go to the re- user reviews, and they're all 1 out of 10, 2 out of 10, 3 out of 10. You've ruined Star Wars. George Lucas come back. Disney, you've ruined the franchise I love. and all. It's all, all this sort of stuff. And I almost think that's a, it's almost a bigger story to me because you're right. Um, it's time to get paranoid here because... Look, I know that there are companies out there, the studios, and, and well, uh, that any company can outsource to in order to help them generate positive trending and word of mouth on social media. You can actually hire button pushers who have multiple email addresses to go onto all the various media, social media platforms that we know and to pump up the, the good trending and, and the hype and, and, the, and the word of mouth. Yep. I think they've gone into overdrive, Disney, in, in doing that. I'm sure they've got a, maybe, maybe they've got their own internal department that does this. Um, because yeah, there is such a dichotomy between what most of the critics are saying and then most of the hardcore Star Wars fans are saying, and it's not because the hardcore Star Wars fans are arrested man children and they're really precious about the franchise and they just need to chill out. And no, no, that's not why they're angry. They're angry because, you know, Star Wars has been completely ruined. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is the thing about Star Wars. It's huge. And even though this film was a, 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 a large disappointment, we will still return for more. We'll be there. We'll watch episode nine. And back to your original point, what I'm trying to say is that the Disney machine is so huge and so influential that why should they, why should they have any uh, um, uh, attention to detail? Why should they care? You know, why, why, why should, should they um, care about how these films are constructed how these films are even presented they just as long as they've got the uh, the, the the things that, that people identify from the original trilogy you know to evoke the feelings of nostalgia and to draw the fan base into in, into the cinemas that's it that's enough for them critics who cares they can influence those too because disney own everything it seems seems disney own hollywood right now so you know you'd be a very 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 ballsy critic if you dare to criticize their big movie it would appear to be that, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure a lot of those mainstream critics did genuinely like the film. But, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of them who were, and, and I'm going to say something very controversial now, I'm sure there's a lot of them who were probably paid off or, or, or just comped so thoroughly at the premiere and, and probably after the premiere screening, or, or sorry, the preview screening, critics screening, whatever you want to call it, that they've effectively been paid off to to give the film a good notice absolutely um, i mean i'm all for people i'm all for uh, them enjoying it legitimately and I, I mean like i said it's an, as a standalone movie it's quite enjoyable but um let's just say hyperbole makes me suspicious i mean i hear nonsense like oh it's the greatest one since empire and you know uh, yeah i'm immediately suspicious well, there's always one guy who comes out of one of these early screenings and he tweets best Star Wars so far. And uh, we saw that. <laughs> we saw that from somebody and then straight away you're shaking your head on that one. But yeah, like I say, um, I think some of them were, were compromised. Some of them probably, as you say, they're scared of Disney's influence and some of them probably genuinely liked it. I mean, look, I will, for, for the sake of balance, I mean, I'm a big fan of the the guy on YouTube, angry video game nerd. Okay. Who also, he also reviews a lot of uh, movies, a lot of the types of movies, which I like as well. Um, the film part of his 
blog is called City Massacre, if I remember correctly. He turned around and said he liked the film. Okay, so there are people out there who who've got credibility in my eyes as well, and they also like this film, so I can accept that. But um, I think people who need who who put this film into its Star Wars context as the extension of um, a story which is quite dear to us, they almost to a man, they all hate it, don't they? And that's really sad. That is sad. And I tell you who else doesn't like the film? Luke Skywalker himself, Mark Hamill. And to be fair, he tried to warn us. He tried to warn us. All those little um, sound bites that came from interviews that he gave before the film was released about he fundamentally disagreed with what Brian Johnson did to his character. Totally makes sense now. And he's gone one step further. There's been a recent interview, and I'll, I'll play the soundbite. I'll, I'll edit the soundbite into this um, um, just for our listeners to hear. Um, where, you know, he, 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 I'm paraphrasing here, he basically says he doesn't recognise his character anymore. It's not his Luke Skywalker. You know, this is different to the Luke Skywalker of the George Lucas movies. And But he respects the fact that this is a new generation of Star Wars. We've got new filmmakers on board and they want to take the story wherever they want. I said to Ryan, I said, Jedis don't give up. I mean, even if he had a problem, he would... Uh, maybe take a year to try and regroup. But if he made a mistake, he would try and right that wrong. So right there, we had a fundamental difference. But it's not my story anymore. It's somebody else's story. And Ryan needed me to be a certain way to make the ending effective. That's the crux of my problem. Luke would never say that. I'm sorry. Well, in this version, see, I'm talking about this, the George Lucas Star Wars. This is the next generation of Star Wars. So I almost had to think of Luke as another character. Uh, maybe he's Jake Skywalker. He's not my Luke Skywalker. But I had to do what Ryan wanted me to do because it, it serves the story well. But uh, listen, I still haven't accepted it completely. But it's only a movie. I hope people like it. I hope they don't get upset. You know, and he also said in a different interview about how his one regret is that Disney didn't use the ideas because George Lucas had obviously wrote treatments for the, for a his version of a new uh, for sequel trilogy. Um, how they didn't use any of George Lucas's ideas and they didn't use his guidance or anything like that in in making these movies. Um, and he talks about how even during um, the Force Awakens. When he did that, he had issues with the fact that there was no reunion scene between him and 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 well, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, and and and, and Leia, um, and that the fans would be really upset about that. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. So he, from the very start, he, my impression is that he felt like this was wrong. This wasn't handled very well. Um, but God bless him, he's enthusiastic and he did it for the fans. That much is clear. Yeah, he's, he seems like a top guy, and he's actually been subtly very honest. Yeah. If you, I think there's actually a funny video on YouTube. I think we've mentioned it before on the podcast. Mark Hamill hated The Force Awakens or something, and it's a com, kind of like um, a compendium of clips of, of public talks and interviews he's given where he's made comments about the film, where if you read between the lines, you realize he, he knows that this direction that these films have taken is, is, um, is bad. Um, and yeah, um, I agree with him. I didn't recognize Luke, you know, they kind of, they kind of ruined the character, didn't they? And then to have him 
disappear at the end like that in, in the manner they did. They obviously rewritten a few of the internal rules of, of Star Wars. It was just, it was a mess. I think his performance was at the wrong pitch. Again, you've got to probably blame the director for that. Um, let, do you know what? Let me just say this before we carry on. There were two or three things I liked about the film. A lot of people didn't like the bit where he milks that animal. Um, I didn't mind that. I thought. I didn't mind, I thought, that. I didn't mind I thought, that at all. I thought that was kind of Star Warsian. I didn't have a problem with that. Yeah. I like the I like the porgs. I think they're cute. And uh, that little bit where you see like a porg with its little chicks. It's made a little nest for itself in the Millennium Falcon. I thought that was uh, adorable. And um, Adam Driver was brilliant. I think I've said before, I think he's a brilliant actor. Daisy Ridley was was reasonably good as well. Um, so there were things I liked about it. And, and also Jason Isaacs is a good, uh, is a good actor, no doubt about it. Um, his, his character's kind of got potential, Poe Dameron. You mean Oscar Isaacs, not Captain Lorca? I'll beg you. <laughs> Beg your pardon, Oscar Oscar Isaac or Oscar Isaacs? Uh, Isaac, Oscar Isaac. Uh, apologies to um, Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I just call him Jason Isaacs. Yeah, sorry, definitely not. Um, but yeah, those were the things I liked, and and that's pretty much it. Um, you know, you know I like the casino sequence. I felt that um, as liked po- it. yeah, yeah, as, po- as as pointless as it was, because it was pointless. It didn't serve any purpose. It felt like something George might have done. It, had, it was a little bit of fun. I didn't it wasn't. Exe- it wasn't executed particularly well, though. I don't think. Uh, in its in its conception, it was okay. When I heard that they were going to have a, they were going to be on like a casino planet or something, because they were shooting certain scenes for it in Eastern Europe, weren't they? Or something. Yeah, yeah. When I heard that, I was like, okay, that could belong in a Star Wars film, but I, I don't think I executed it particularly well. It was just um, there wasn't any original originality in it. It was just like. Uh, it's a little bit like the Maz Kanata castle um, scene where it, it kind of just felt like an imitation of, you know, Moss Eisley or the sports bar, even in Attack of the Clones. They're just, for me, there wasn't enough in it that was new. But I mean, that, okay, yeah. that sequence on. On, on, on the planet, uh, Canto Blight. Um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting anyway, because I, 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 what I found amusing about it was uh, it, it didn't serve any purpose, but um, they they went out of their way, and this is probably Ryan Johnson, but Disney obviously allowed it, um, endorsed it. Um, they went out of their way to get preachy, to get preachy about, you know, the one percenters, about um, animal cruelty, about child labor, and, you know, it, it just... And I just found this is, I said to myself, this is hilarious. This is the Disney machine preaching to us to hate rich people. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty liberal myself, but I thought it was too heavy handed. That irony was lost on me. I didn't even, uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Good point. Oh, but it was even, if you want to count that little gag with um, the Porg and Chewy, when he's, um, when he's roasted a Porg, presumably trying to eat. Even that's oh, yeah. like, even that's like anti, you know, meat eating, you know, the preaching us at us again, I suppose. But. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, you're right. And do you know what? They've got a lot of female characters in this film and um, a lot of new female characters, I mean, and the way they pop up, um, they pop up with more regularity than they usually would in the Hollywood film. And look, I think that's good, you know, for equality and egalitarianism and, and, and writing more roles women um i i'm in principle i'm i'm fine with that but 
I did think a couple of the characters were just completely unfeasible and just didn't buy them. I mean, that that Rose, mm. the way she, the way she was written, the, the actress they cast, and the way the character was handled, it, it felt like it was written by a, a screenwriting student or something. Her motivation and her dialogue and and the actress they cast, she wasn't particularly good. And I just can't see that action figure flying off the shelves either. Well, um, that was clearly just to appease the uh, the Asian market, you know. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be cruel, but this is the Disney machine. They know exactly what they're doing. Right, right, okay. Um, oh, and, you know, it's just made me think of another criticism is in Star Wars, when you, when you have characters popping up, quite often they're quite exotic and, and they're, they're aliens, aren't they? And that's the whole point of Star Wars, yep. galaxy far, far away. In this film, every character that popped up was just... Um, a human basically whether it was Benicio del Toro um Laura Dern or as you say Rose I think her name was and um or, or whether it was uh Aid Edmondson out of bottom <laughs> <laughs> they all just kept popping and they were all human and I was like human. yeah what, what happened to the galaxy far far away it was like come on because that there's you you know, the lack of imagination is evident and the lack of attention to detail. If you were to watch those old um, uh, Star Wars prequel um, uh, DVD extras, like the, the the episode one documentary, the beginning, and you see how all these, 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 um, these, these creature designs, these alien designs, and George would look over them and say, you know, I'll change this, you know, make, make it look like that. And, you know, it, it, it's a long process. And none of this is, none of this has occurred at all in these movies. You're right. Every major new character is an alien not is not an alien sorry he's a human um and it's funny i mean obviously there's an exception like there's maz kanata but they, they didn't give a shit about that character um her, her one scene in this film was ridiculous by the way yeah yeah um i, I thought uh, in the full swings i thought just a pretty much a yoda knockoff but uh they don't they didn't know what to do with this character um and she's 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 in that one scene she's just in some um, um hol- you know holographic transmission just babbling on and making gags and tell him to go and yeah, search for this yeah, mysterious code just, breaker it was just a joke wasn't it it was a one jo- one joke yeah scene. waste of time waste yeah. of time which makes the character meaningless and there's a lot of that in this movie actually that, that a lot of what was introduced in the force awakens was rendered as as, as completely redundant and meaningless and I, it's interesting because the more i hear from ryan johnson in interviews the more i'm starting to realize that they are making this entire thing up as they go along this hasn't been planned as a trilogy um he's made comments like well you know jj you know set the tone with the first movie and it was up to me to take it whatever direction i want and he's even used phrases like i've created a bit of a mess that jj needs to figure out for the next one um the other day i mean literally this week there was reports that J.J. Abrams pitched, um, you know, pitched, you know, the, 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 the plot story of episode nine to uh, Bob Iger. Right. And I'm thinking, he's only doing that now? Yeah, that's uh, alarming for sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's shocking. So, um, so basically, it seems like all the characters that were introduced in The Force Awakens, Snoke, Phasma, Maz Kanata, the, the notion of the Knights of Ren, all of this was just tossed aside. Um, so let's start with Snoke. Snoke was the um, the Emperor, well, appeared to be the Emperor Palpatine of, of this series and was wiped out probably in the first, the first, yeah, the first half of the movie. Yeah, he, um, 
another demonstration of how poor the special effects were. Did you notice when he stood up from his throne and started walking, how yeah. stilted the yeah. action was? Yeah, 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 I noticed that, yeah. It looked unbelievably bad. Um, yeah, he's sort of sitting there in his um, kind of uh, golden Jimmy Savile-esque um, gown. And, uh, <laughs> and um, he's kind of... Andy Serkis does a pretty good job, and on the close-ups, he looks kind of good, Snoke, and his voice is quite good, and he's interesting, but yeah, he's just a cardboard villain in the end, isn't he? He's just sort of popped up, and now he's gone. Well, it's the thing, people wanted, I mean, again, Brian Johnson's made comments after the movie's been released, saying, actually, um, in The Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams never made a big deal at Snoke anyway, it's the fans that went off with their own theories, but that's not necessarily true, because we know that this character was significant enough to tempt, uh, to seduce um, Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, to the dark yep. side of the Force. This character in, and I can't remember where this is from. I think this is from, uh, might be from cutscenes. It might be from the novelization. But Snoke definitely mentions that he has seen um, the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire. He's he's lived through all of these all these different events um, and these different eras in the Star Wars uh, universe. So he obviously has some sort of story. Or well, he should have some sort of story, but no, he's just a disposable villain who was pretty stupid. And, and he was let's, be honest, let's, let's be honest, J.J. Abrams created him in order for him to be an interesting big bad who they were going to develop in episodes eight and nine. I don't think he expected Ryan Johnson to ruin that character the way he did, um, even though it was kind of poor in its conception anyway, right at the very start in episode seven. But... At least, I mean, if they turned around and they'd made him Darth Plagueis or something, um, we would have got our teeth into that. It would have been interesting, you know. Um, but yeah, it was glib, the way he was killed off. And um, the revelation about Ray's parentage was glib. Oh yeah, that's a huge problem. And disappointing. And, and by the way, I mentioned Benicio Del Toro earlier and how they, the, and have you mentioned the subplots and gaps in logic i mean why was he just sitting in a jail cell with keys in his pocket ready to break people out what, what was he doing there i mean it's just well really I, I there's actually an explanation for this i heard um and i think again it's from either the novelization or one of these you know behind the scenes of the last jedi things i heard this actually from someone that it's explained that his character although he can bust out of jail cells very easily, um, sleeps in prisons because he fears for his safety on the streets. That's the explanation. That's pathetic. And that's stupid. It, it, it feels like something out of a TV show on the sci-fi channel or a poor episode of Star Trek or something. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not worthy of, of Star Wars. No. But... Um, yeah, go on. What, what what else was on the agenda? Because I think we have you made a list. Because I yeah. could not, I could not really rehearse for this because it was there's so much to criticise negatively, unfortunately, about this film. I didn't even bother making a list. I know. I just don't know where to start. I mean, so this whole thing again. I mentioned the Knights of Ren. So we had some flashbacks. Oh gosh, flashbacks. I won't get started on those. But yeah, we had some. Um, flashbacks in the force awakens or visions that ray had or whatever and we saw kylo ren with these knights of ren that jj abrams has spoken about and there's there's no reference to these at all um no mention whatsoever um so that was a waste of time 
And there's way too many flashbacks. I mean, I, yeah, in this movie, not, there's too many flashbacks. It's not, yeah, and we saw, yeah. And obviously, you're breaking cardinal Star Wars rules in having flashbacks anyway, but then they have so many of them. It's almost like something out of a soap opera. And, and do you know what? The plot twist where they show how Ben Solo turned to the dark side almost because it was a bit of a misunderstanding between him and Luke. Luke wasn't really going to kill him, but Kylo Ren, sorry, Ben Solo thought he was. Hence, he that, destroyed the temple and joined the dark side. That is almost a plot twist worthy of a really, really poor soap opera. That is a soap opera style plot twist. And then we'll get on to Luke in a bit um, because lots to discuss about Luke. But um, um, yeah, it was. And and the fact is we, we had a flashback. We saw this through flashbacks and we saw the same flashback from three different points of view. The good thing I can say about the flashbacks is that Luke in his Jedi robes with, with his beard cut a bit short and his hair a bit shorter in those flashbacks. And he was actually wielding his return of the Jedi green lightsaber. Um, he looked brilliant. But uh, yeah, that's the only good thing I can say about this flashback. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, other things that were just completely discarded from from the Force Awakens. So Captain Phasma, waste of time. This this character was built up to be this badass, um, totally underused in um, Force Awakens. And in this one, she has a bit of a skirmish with Finn. They have a little bit of a duel, and he basically kicks her ass very quickly, and that's it. She's dead. Yeah, she is falls she dead? into an. Yeah, but, she falls into. Yeah, she falls into an abyss, and she's gone. Right? Surely. No, but no, but what I mean is, um, could Disney try and bring her back? Is I guess so, but then that would be ridiculous, right? Well, it's Disney, isn't it? I wouldn't put it past talking me. about bringing talking about bringing people back. It was nice to to see Yoda back, and he did say one or two interesting, nice, pithy things, like. For example, you shouldn't have attachments to things like temples and books. But basically, again, that scene, um, referring to Luke as young Skywalker and almost chatting to him as like, you idiot, haven't you learned anything? I know, yeah. Uh, but we'll get I to mean, that, we'll get to that, we'll get to Yoda. We'll get to Yoda, there's oh, so much sorry. to discuss. There's so much to discuss, but we'll get to Yoda. Um, okay. But the last point on, on in terms of... Um, things that were completely discarded the biggest problem i had was the whole mystery and it was deliberately set up as a mystery it was deliberately set up as significant of ray's parentage and we discover that her parents were basically drunks that sold her for money (laughs) um and that's it yeah that was unbelievable so this protagonist has no connection to the skywalker family that's terrible. Do you know what? For a moment when we were watching that film, I thought it was going to be inspired because I was fully expecting her to turn out to be Kylo's um, sister. And I thought before we went into the film, I thought, how are they going to like handle that revelation? You know, it's going to look a bit stupid if Kylo Ren's standing there and he says, you are my sister or I am your brother. You can't really copy the Empire Strikes Back revelation is going to come across as stupid so how are they going to deliver that and then he's standing there isn't he and he says to her you know what the truth is say it and for a second i thought oh they've, they've actually twisted that they've done that really well if she yeah. turns around now if she turns around and says oh you're my brother and i've kind of always known that if they if he had made her say it and that is what she had said it would have been a nice almost inversion of vader giving luke the revelation it's all, it, it was almost would have been Kylo Ren dragging it out of her. 
I thought that's where the I thought that's where they were going to go. Um, but then I would have accepted, I would have accepted that. But then what it actually turned out to be was so I can't. It's difficult to describe how disappointing it was that moment. How much of how much of an anticlimax that, that whole film is pretty much an anticlimax. But that scene in particular. But you know what's weird, right? This is what's strange. It, I wonder if J.J. Abrams intended because obviously I I don't agree that J.J. Abrams. With with the Force Awakens, wanted Ray's parents to be nobodies. Yeah, I, he was deliberately setting it up to to uh, to be some to, for them to be significant in some way. And I I thought I while so. watching yeah I thought while watching the Force Awakens, even the little uh, the jokes between Ray and Han Solo and how how they you know she you know completed sentences sentences before we finished them and 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 she knew how to pilot the falcon i thought okay they're going somewhere with this and to look at that now and just think that was just a waste of time it, it, it's very unsatisfying and um so i i i, th- I think this is how I, I was thinking about it i think this is how they should have done it right i i think it's important for the protagonist to be a skywalker yeah they're missing. The, they're missing a the point. Otherwise, they can. They can make other. You know, there are other Jedi. We know that in the Star Wars saga, but it's about the Skywalker family. It's about, like George says, it's about problems that um, you know the grandparents create for parents, and parents create for you know the grandkids, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, it's it's. Um, I I I I would have done it like this. I I would have. Um, in the first one, The Force Awakens alluded to Luke in exile because of whatever reason, Kylo Ren turned, but he was finding it hard to deal with the loss of something. Keep that in the mystery, the loss of something. Then, as they explained in The Last Jedi, that um, um, Kylo Ren sort of burnt down the temple and um, took, um, was it, he took about a dozen of... Um, of Luke's of um, Luke's apprentices or whatever. I think he actually used that word, didn't he? A dozen. Yeah, a dozen. I would have had one of those apprentices be Luke's daughter. Hear me out. Or Luke's okay. child. And Kylo, if you want to, um, did his best to hide the the, the child on wherever, because um, we actually see that 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 flashback in the Force Awakens or that vision of of. Ray as a child being left on Jakku and, and the spaceship sort of flying off. Um, I don't believe we would have seen that if the uh, apparentage is supposed to be insignificant. Um, I would have had that and I had the revelation that Luke, while he was mourning the, the probable death of his child, his child was alive all along and his child is Ray. That would have been a decent way to, 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 to um, tie yeah. the Skywalker man. Yeah, I would have accepted that, I suppose. It wouldn't have been um, inspired or brilliant, but I think we would have accepted it. But yeah. you're right. Um, but they've only got themselves to blame because they, they didn't map three films out. You know, the, the Disney, whoever you want to blame, Kathleen Kennedy. But my idea... Only right? got... Yeah. Sorry. No, carry on, carry on. No, no, I was saying that. But my idea, and I like my idea, would have explained why Ray is... Um, so well versed with the force. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because she has, um, and this is a big problem I have with the character. Right? She has exhibited every type of power 
that we know a Jedi, a fully trained Jedi to have. In the first movie, she was doing Jedi mind tricks. She's having visions. She could just use the force. She could just, you know, in this one, um, you know, she, she, she's handy with a lightsaber. She, I mean, she can do it. She's like a fully trained Jedi Knight and she's not a Jedi Knight. Well, that's the other problem, isn't it? I mean, he only spent about two and a half minutes training her, in inverted commas, and yet she goes to Snoke and beats the hell out of those Crimson Guards quite yeah, easily, really. Guards, yeah. um, and then she's lifting, like, boulders, which are, you know, far, far heavier than the X-Wing Luke tried to lift out of the bog on Dagobah. So yeah, she's got the full skill set and uh, only after about two and a half minutes worth of training. So uh, again, they've just written themselves into a corner, haven't they? Um, with, with with the chronology of the narrative, it just nothing really clicks. It's uh, it's a total um, mess from top to bottom. And, and bear in mind the, the, the period of time between um, The Force Awakens and by the time we get to, let's say, the end of The Last Jedi when Rey's lifting boulders and freeing the Resistance um, from that cave, it's only a few days. Yep. Yeah, a few days. Absolutely, yeah. that's, that's what I mean, yeah. So she's gone from living in the shadow of a, an Imperial walker on Jakku or, or, wherever, or living inside it um, within a few days to... Uh, lifting boulders and uh, fighting elite guards. Um, it's just, you just don't buy it for a second, do you? No, no, I don't. But uh, if you criticise that, then you're called sexist. So, I mean, there's been, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm referring to, um, Daisy really actually gave some comments um, in an interview the other day because there's been a lot of criticism about how, you know, ridiculously advanced the character of Rey is she, she hasn't gone on a hero's journey at all she just seems to be good at everything and fully trained as a Jedi in the ways of the force without actually being trained and I think her response was well people who say that just being sexist I don't think that's the case personally did, did she really say that yeah she did yeah oh god all right well well, yeah, I mean, if she did say that in response to criticisms in the shortcomings of, of the writing for the Ray character, if that's what she said, that it's just because people are being sexist, that's rather boneheaded of her yeah. to say yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it, you're right. Talking about heroes' journeys and power of myth and all that stuff, it's lost on Disney. You know, it's all about shareholders now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything's decided by committee. Bunch of accountants in the room. Um, you know, heroes, yeah. Wait, long uh, gone. Um, this is forget it. Yeah, yeah, that's gone. Uh, we're we're certainly missing that. I just wanted to. So, uh, like I said, there's so much to. We could we could literally go on all all evening about this, but let's talk about Leia. Let's talk about Carrie Fisher. Going for about an hour. We're only halfway through, (laughs) so it's gonna be a long podcast. But yeah, let's talk about. Carrie Fisher. So do you want to talk about how ridiculous the scene was where she flies Mary, through space? Mary Poppins. I hated that's that. Nice. Yeah, that's a good comparison, Mary Poppins. It was nice to see Leia finally using the Force, but the scene was preposterous. Completely. And again, it took me, it was so early on, and it took, and it was another point so early on where it took me completely out of the movie. And I think at that point, I don't know if you heard me, I turned towards you in the cinema and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> 
yeah, I remember. I remember. I was and mumbling though. Yeah. I, I was shocked by the fact that the people who witnessed what she was doing, none of them seemed that surprised. No, no, it was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, let's Open just quickly get her, her. In, get, get her into the medical uh, thing so she can recover. None of them were standing there like with their jaws open going, wow. I, I just, whatever gave Ryan Johnson the idea, the impression that that was a good <laughs> idea, it was awful. And it, it, it came off terrible. Um, and and this is interesting though, because, um, so Leia, other than that, I thought Leia was pretty good in the movie. Um, Harry gonna, Fisher was yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Carrie Fisher was good. The character of Leia was written well, I think. Um, they've got a problem. Carrie Fisher passed away and they need to write Leia out of this thing. And, you know, when... Um, I, I thought they had about three opportunities in this movie to do a bit of trickery, trickery in, uh, in post-production and actually um, write her out. And they didn't use any of those opportunities. For example, um, this whole thing, uh, uh, Laura Dern's character, um, Vice Admiral Holdo, um, with a sort of um, going going down with the cruiser, that kind of kamikaze uh, uh, mission at the end. Yep, yep. They, they, Leia could have done that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a good point. Although um, it would be unsatisfying because then you would have seen all the, the you know, everyone wiped out in one movie and i guess that would leave fans a little yeah, bit depressed and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had the scene right with leia and luke i guess if they'd done that true but they could have they could have worked around it they could have um did it you know um did you know it is that into that happened later on I, I don't know they could have worked around it um i i like that scene between leia and luke it was nice um it was yeah it was yeah, it was a nice tender moment. It, 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 was, it was one of the better better moments from the movie, I think. Um, much like I like the scene between her and Han um, when they first um, reunite in, in The Force Awakens. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to do with Leia, to be honest, because um, she's there right through to the end. Uh, and there's only a few of the you know, uh, members of the Resistance left by the end of the movie, um, about a dozen or so. And... They, um, if Disney are going to be true to their word that they're not going to replace um, Carrie Fisher with um, some sort of um, CG um, CG creation or whatever, just to write her out, um, I don't know how they're going to do it. Are they going to open episode nine years later and, and say in the opening crawl, oh, by the way, um, you know, General Leia Organa passed away several years ago? That would be unsatisfying. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it could always start the film with, like, a funeral or something. Um, I mean, it was a rumour they were going to have Han Solo's funeral in this film, uh, weren't they? But uh, obviously that didn't come to fruition. Uh, that's probably the only way they could do it. And, yeah, it's uh, it's obviously unfortunate all round. Um, and terrible that she passed away. And, and obviously a, big, a real problem. I mean, it would have been a problem even if they'd written... Um, the uh, three film story arc, you know, and whatever. So th th this is a, a unique sort of problem, isn't it? And I guess we'll see. But uh, you, d you just remind me talking talking about Leia. They, uh, it's worth mentioning now, otherwise I might forget later. I thought the famous uh, kind of iris. Call it, did they call it an iris in or an iris out? When, iris when iris they, out. Right, an iris out. Okay, so they were going to. 
I thought they were going to do it when Leia's sitting there talking to to Ray, and she's surrounded by the other resistance people and they're on the millennium falcon are they yeah they're on the falcon they they've uh, there's only a few of them left they're all looking crestfallen um it looks like the shot was designed for the irish out and then they go to this ridiculous thing where there's a kid with a resistance ring sweeping it really looked like an image out of a disney cartoon and then they iris out outed on that Oh, that was the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, <laughs> just you, before we got you know, up. you know full well that um, the movie was supposed to end with that shot of them and a the falcon, which would have been better, I think. But yeah, you you're right. Hope you think? Uh, uh, look, just, just look at the way it cuts to that kind of medium long shot, and then you know full well that that's what that was for. And then all of a sudden, it jumps to the the so the the stable boys or the stable kids we were introduced to on Canto Blight. Um, and um, it, you know, Rose has, has already given one of them a, a resistance ring. So he's got the ring and um, he basically uses the force. I don't know if you notice, he, he, he kind of um, pulls a broom towards him. A broom, right. right. Um, and, you know, and I mean, they're playing with little action, well, action figures. They've made constructed little dolls and they've, pretending to be Luke Skywalker. And it's all very, it's weird. And someone described it as, I mean, we don't have targets um, in the UK. Uh, so this is, a, this is an American describe, but you know what targets like, it's like a Walmart, like a, you know, yeah, yeah. Store. and they said that that last scene with the boy and, and the broom and, and whatever. And, and the film ended on that note was like a target commercial for Star Wars toys, you know, just some random kid that we don't know. And I, again, it's one of those baffling decisions. What gave Ryan Johnson, the thought yeah. that that was a good idea. Unless... Well, you know, go, sorry, finish your sentence first. Well, then I'm saying unless, because we heard that he's been given the go-ahead to do create his own Star Wars trilogy outside of the Skywalker um, saga without any sort of pitching any ideas in terms of what's going to happen. He's just been given the go-ahead. Unless it's connected to that, because this feels really shoehorned in, but it was so wrong to end the film with a shot of a character who, who we don't care about, we don't know, it's got nothing to do with what's going on. Yeah, awful. very, very strange. I get the impression that when Ryan Johnson was writing the script for this movie, he was literally, he didn't know what he was going to do, and he was doing it purely on his own intuition, and he was almost going, what should I write next? Oh, maybe that can happen. Mm, what do people expect? Well, they expect this, so I'm going to do that. I almost get the impression he was writing the script like that. And um, it, it, it was, again, it backs up them not having a larger framework that they were hanging the story, the narrative on. It was um, very much, I think, him sitting by himself at a word processor in a room thinking, well, what could we do next? Oh, let, let's do that, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and it almost looks like there was no filter there was no one to bounce his ideas off. He was just pretty much going with idea A and occasionally idea B, whereas really the truth is scripts should go through revisions. It's good to sometimes have a, if you're not going to have a committee in terms of the writing of the script, at least for when you're coming up with the story, I don't think there was any of that. I think this is straight from Ryan Johnson's brain onto the screen without a filter. And um, that's possibly why it comes across as, you know, you know what would be a good way to describe a lot of The Last Jedi? It's, it's wacky. Mm. And the Star Wars film should not be wacky. No, it shouldn't be wacky, no. Oh, dear. I mean, 
Okay, let's let's get into let's get into the meat of this and, and talk about some of the characters. Let's talk about Luke Skywalker. We we, we mentioned a little bit before about Luke. So overall, it's great to see Luke back. And part of the draw of seeing this movie, the reason why I think people flocked to the cinemas was to see Mark Hamill back in action as Luke Skywalker. And I think this is also a huge reason, a huge part of the reason why people were disappointed with this movie, the handling of Luke. Um, and I thought Mark Hamill gave a good performance. I thought he, it was clear that he was very enthusiastic about doing it. Um, and, you know, some nice scenes. We mentioned um, some nice moments. We mentioned um, the, the moment between Luke and Leia and um, when Luke's hiding, sort of shutting the door on Ray, and then Chewie kicks the door in that little moment between Luke and Chewie. That was nice. And that little affliction is change affliction in his voice when he asks about, you know, where's Han? What happened to what's happened to Han? And you know, I, I liked all of that. It was nice to see um Yeah, yeah. Some back. of that stuff was good. Gr- granted, some of that stuff was good. But the biggest problem I have is this notion that Luke Skywalker was prepared, he thought about it, to murder his nephew in his sleep. Only because he had visions of potentially, you know, his nephew turn into the dark side and causing destruction. This is the same Luke Skywalker who refused to even fight his father, who was a Dark Lord right. of the Sith. Right. Yeah? Who was a Dark Lord of the Sith. This is the same Luke Skywalker who said, I will not fight you. I won't kill you. I will not fight you. Yet he's prepared to murder his nephew. Well, he didn't do it, but he thought yeah, about it. Murder his nephew in sleep for something he hasn't even done yet. Mm. Yeah, um, I never thought of that. Um, and you're 100% right. It's inconsistent. And yeah, look, I mean, I think what you said, Mark Hamill's quote there sums it up. He, he said he didn't recognize Luke Skywalker. Yeah, neither, neither did I kind of. I mean, him being a like um, on acto, being like completely detached and being grumpy and all that. Just, I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy that he that, that Luke would would go down that route. It didn't make sense to me. Well, giving up on the Jedi Order and and the fall and you know, yeah, detaching himself and from the Force. Obviously, Obi Wan went to Tatooine and Yoda went to Dagobah, but then they knew there was nothing else they could do. They almost had to wait for their moment again, didn't they, before they could affect things. But in but with Luke, they've just had him like give up and just go off somewhere remote and basically be a grumpy fool. Insult, he, he yeah. is a, he's a bit of a fool in this film, and he hasn't. He shouldn't be. He should be way past all that. It doesn't make sense. I did like the moment when he's catching that fish, um, but I didn't like his outfit. It looked medieval, um, like his, the, the leather poncho thing he was wearing. Um, the way he's instructing Ray when he gives her that lesson, that was pretty good. That little moment. Um, I liked when he talked about the the shortfalls of the Jedi Order and he, he gave a little reference um, to uh, the prequels and how Darth Sidious rose to power underneath their, their noses. I like I like that. That was nice. Yeah, yeah. That, that was good. Um, but um, it's it's a terrible film which was just sprinkled with the odd good thing. You know, none of this positive stuff that we bring up redeems, not just doesn't redeem the film, it doesn't even redeem some of those scenes that the moments are in. Mm. Um, 
So it, it's a bit, it's, it's kind of irrelevant in a way. And they went a little bit too far with some of the comedy on Acto with those little those creatures that almost look like monks or nuns or whatever, the caretakers. The nuns, yeah, yeah. It just, it just reminds me that in in the last couple of films, they're basically just using exotic aliens as set dressing now, as background characters. I, th- I thought the whole ambition was to use effects and makeup and costume to have alien characters who are integral to events, to they, the story. They don't have the courage to do something like that. They're too, they're too afraid. They're way too yeah, afraid. Yeah. yeah. And that's very disappointing. That is. Um, so uh, another controversial thing about Luke is the way he went out, the way he died, basically. And so he confronts... Yeah, I almost threw up at that moment. <laughs> well, it, conf- it, it, it mirrors a new hope in a lot of ways. So he confronts Kylo Ren at the end. Um, to create a diversion to let the others escape to live to fight another day, much like what Obi Wan did in A New Hope when he confronted Vader. And the difference is that rather than Luke allowing himself to be sort of struck down, I mean he does get struck down, but he's not there. He's an apparition. He's he's, he's um, you know Kylo Ren's lightsaber goes right through him. And in actual fact, we learn so Luke is still on Octo, um, and it. It's so um, it, it 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 takes so much energy to to do that. Again, we didn't know that Jedi's could do this sort of thing. That it kills him. He just dies. He disappears. He's one with the Force, and that's the end of Luke. And I'm thinking, okay, it might not be the end of Luke. We could very much have a Luke Skywalker Force Ghost, you know, in Episode Nine. But I just felt he deserved a bit more than the way he went out. For sure. There's no way he should be just uh, quitting. I mean, I know it wasn't suicide, but it almost comes across that way, that he's just clocked out because he can't be bothered anymore. Well, he did. He said, he actually says earlier on, when he's when he's grumbling to Ray, he says, you know, I came here to die. I don't want any part of this. I came here to die. Well, that's just ridiculous. And um, you made a good point, actually, when that scene with Yoda, when he says, look, I told you to pass on what you have learned. Did you not heed anything that I said or something like that? And then Luke sort of says, okay, I'm going to pass on what I've learned. I'm going to go and train Ray or whatever. And then by the end of the film, he's uh, become one with the Force. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it again, there's no logic to any of that. Not at all. And and um, so, 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 so the whole thing is that so there are these Jedi texts, the original Jedi texts, um, these these books that Luke kind of guards over, and 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 Luke tries to when he gets sort of fed up towards the end, he tries to burn the thing down. Um, but and yet we see these books at right at the end on on the Millennium Falcon, so they're in Ray's possession. So when did that happen? Did she take them? What was your interpretation of that? Or did did Luke put them there? Because Luke, there is a there is there is a scene where Luke's on the Falcon, sort of reminiscing. Did he store them it could, there for her? Or? It could be either or, but it kind of undercuts what Yoda says. When Yoda says, burn the temple, it doesn't matter. You know, you shouldn't put too much into, you know, objects or whatever he says. Um, and then they retained the, the scrolls anyway. It kind of undercuts that that idea. Um, but yeah, they, the way they've written it, it could be either way. That either Ray took them or Luke put them there. Mm. I don't, it doesn't really matter. I, I'm not going to... I mean, it, it just shows you the effect the film had on me that I've got no inclination to want to 
break down the the, the kind of um, intricacies of the plot and who did and the motivations, who did what and why. I've got no desire to do that because it's just it's, it's really just killed the, uh, the franchise uh, for me in in a in a big way. Yeah, no, and no, I totally understand what you mean. Um, so. Yeah, this thing about this Yoda cameo. So it was nice to see Yoda back. Um, I suspected something like that would happen. Um, I, I, I was, I became suspicious when I saw that Frank Oz was at the premiere. Um, and um, but my, my first thought was that as as much as it's nice to see Yoda back, it would have made a lot more sense if it was Obi Wan Kenobi that Luke uh, communed with rather than Yoda, simply because. Obi-Wan is Luke's true mentor. And again, also a Jedi master who failed his student, if you want to say that. Um, it would have been better. They could have done it. They could have CG'd um, Alec Guinness in like they did with um, um, uh, uh, Tarkin in uh, Rogue One. Um, a cushion. Um, and they could have done that and they could have had maybe Ewan McGregor do the voice. I, I You know, do you feel it worked better with Obi-Wan Kenobi? Or? Uh, yeah, it doesn't feel particularly logical that it was um, that it was Yoda. I think it, it should either have been Obi-Wan or Anakin. <laughs> they wouldn't have done it. That would have been good. I would have loved it for it to have been Anakin. Um, you know, it would be great to see him talking with his son, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it would have been funny in the sense, not ha-ha funny, but it would have been interesting in that if they'd got Hayden Christensen, it would have been Anakin as his force ghost appeared in Return Jedi talking to Luke as an old man, even though he is his father. Um, and, you know, maybe some some kind of uh, dialogue where Anakin's lamenting and saying, I made mistakes, don't you make mistakes? or I did this, you should do that, you know, yeah. to make them trying to make amends from beyond the grave. Something like that would have had far more resonance, but, um, they, they probably went with the one that I thought fans would want the most. Safest you know. option. Yeah. And, um, and they used a puppet by the way, I think, didn't they? That wasn't CG either. I think they used, they, they used a puppet and obviously they put a filter over it. That's what it looked like to me anyway. And it, well, that was, all, that was awful, first of all. Yeah, I thought that looked terrible. And I don't think it was, I think it was, I think it was CG, but I think it was a CG, CG to to be made to look like, like the puppet from the Empire Strikes Back. Um, and yeah, it, yeah possibly, it didn't work. Possibly. Yeah, it, it, it didn't look as good as it should have done. No. That's no, for sure. No. Um, yeah, actually, I can picture George Lucas grimacing when he when he when he never to be watched the movie and and, and saw Yoda was presented. Um, but you know the scene, the, the exchange between Luke and Yoda, it was written quite well. I liked it. You know, Yoda hasn't Yoda is has the same uh, mischievousness and you know and, uh, and eccentricness as he does in um, eccentricity he does as he does in um, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, you know, you said he calls him young sky, calls Luke young Skywalker. And it, it, it was nice. It was a nice moment. Um, but it's all nostalgia. It's nice because it's relying on our affection of 
the original movies. That's why we kind of like that scene. It's not because it's a really clever, well-written scene, right? That's right. It's all to do with nostalgia. I mean, I would have preferred there to be a more sort of a deeper exchange between the two. Perhaps Yoda referring to the events that have t- that had taken place, like Luke confronting Vader and, and all that sort of stuff, rather than sort of just gags from before. Um, and, you know, maybe a deeper discussion about um, the Jedi Order. Um, Luke might be able to raise some of his reservations. Uh, but they didn't go down that route, which is fine, I suppose. Um, but-, but you're right. There would have been, this, there was so much potential for so many interesting discussions. Yeah. That that scene could have gone on for 10, 15 minutes and I would have still been sitting there loving it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. absolutely. They didn't, they didn't uh, go down any of those routes that we would have wanted them to go down. No, and I don't know if that's... Because they, 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 they didn't know how... They wouldn't know how to handle that or, or, or simply because time i mean the film's too long anyway i don't know but um it seems like a wasted opportunity and um the one thing that bothered me the most was ghost yoda interfering with the physical world setting fire to the tree um since when could they do that yeah it was almost like god um striking out with a thunderbolt and destroying something wasn't it yeah but uh, but didn't obi-wan kenobi though i mean that's cool right that is cool almost like all that bam lightning bolt that's cool but didn't obi-wan kenobi in the empire strikes back as a ghost you know, explain to luke that in his form he cannot interfere when he was yeah. saying i can't help you again if you confront vader that sort of thing and you took that as some kind of um rule about the afterlife as in they they can't it's not their business to get involved. And I think that's how most people would have taken it. Um, but yeah, but he, you've got him doing all sorts when he hits Luke on the forehead, doesn't he? With his stick at one point. Yeah. Yeah. He whacks him on the head. And, uh, and it's just, that's that little moment was just done for laughs and it was stupid. Um, as far as Yoda setting fire to the tree, I didn't mind it because He's not really affecting the physical world in the sense that he's helping Luke in his fight against the bad guys or he's going against nature. It's almost like you could argue if Yoda wasn't there, nature would have done that anyway sort of thing. But he just happens to show that he's doing it. Um, I didn't mind that so much personally, him conjuring a lightning bolt out of nowhere. Um but generally, there's so many things wrong with that scene. We could sit here for half an hour and talk about that one scene and <laughs> why they uh, why they botched it. Yeah, it, just, it gives me a headache thinking about how poorly conceived it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it gosh, yeah. Um, let's, I'm going to try and move on to s- something positive. Let me just say one more point now. I'm, I'm, I've got my list of things I want to discuss. I just want to say, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Where the hell is Lando Calrissian? Why did they not bring back Lando Calrissian? They had a perfect opportunity. Then the sequence in a frigging casino. There was the end of the movie when the Resistance put out that call. Leia sent her personal uh, personal code to call for help. Anyone out there, you know, get in touch. They could have brought in Lando. Why is there no yeah. Lando in these movies? 
Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why they've uh, ignored Billy D. Williams and, and the character. Um, I mean, I, I got my hopes up for a moment when was it Maz Kanata told them that you're looking for a guy wearing this red flower on his lapel or something. I thought that was hopefully going to be Lando. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could have been. Uh, and then it's, again, they decided not to go. It, it was disappointing. It's not terminal for the film, but it is disappointing. I mean, he was such a good character. Why not bring him back? It's strange. It's strange. There's got to be a story behind that. You know, maybe one day we'll find out. But I mean, he definitely seems keen, Billy Williams. I mean, he's been um, he's been interviewed, and he says, "Yeah, he's you know he's up for returning." So he's, he's lent his voice to the um, that Rebels cartoon, hasn't he? Yeah, well? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Very strange. Um, okay, all right. So let's go to something positive. Something um, what I thought was the best thing about the movie and that was the performance by Adam Driver as Kylo Ren I thought so I thought it was really good yeah agreed absolutely agreed he's a, he's a good actor um, he did everything that could have been asked of him character was kind of written okay I suppose um, and it is really disappointing that they've cast that role quite well with a very good actor and yet they just can't put him in a film or films or a trilogy which would justify his good work it's uh, again it just it just smacks of um, how they kind of botched it I, you know I feel like I'm coming a bit of a broken record here um, <laughs> but you know yeah. this is the thing this is the movie um and it is a movie of of, of squandered opportunities. And um, actually, yeah, I brought up subject Kylo Ren because I thought, okay, this is something good to talk about. Um, I thought um, Adam Driver did a really good job, um, you know, presenting Ben Ben Solo, Kylo Ren as his tortured soul and um, this complicated tortured soul. Um, so I, I thought it was fantastic, actually. Yeah. Um, you, well, you mean the writing him or his no his, his, his performance his performance yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's kind of funny do, do you remember when the sony hack happened and one of the email exchanges between amy pascal and david fincher um mentioned that adam driver from the tv show the girls or whatever it's called mm. he's been cast in the next star wars movie terrible idea yeah. and david fincher replied with yeah terrible completely wrong casting <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember, that, yeah. <laughs> and i remember i remember that and i remember thinking oh dear you know they've cast a no hoper in the next star wars movie and I, and I, I you know i was ignorant i didn't i hadn't seen adam driver in anything but it's fair to say what we've seen of him in these two movies he, he's an outstanding actor I think so. And I, I think it's it's a real shame, and obviously this couldn't be helped, but um, it's a real shame that we're not going to get that moment between, um, you know, him, his character, Kylo Ren, or Ben, Ben Solo, uh, and, and, and Leia. We're, we're not going to have that, that moment between them, that reunion between them. That's the other, yet another missed opportunity, isn't it, that we, we kind of realised might be the case, and now it's been confirmed that, yeah, that's another situation where there's a real deficit in the writing um you know i was just i was just thinking as, as you were talking there about um 
I know I've jumped back and forth quite a lot during this podcast, so I apologise to our, um, our listeners. Um, my thoughts are a little bit all over the place, but that's because I don't write notes for, for this podcast because I, um, not that I often do, but there's so much to, to nitpick about this film. Um, and the you mentioned um, how the Luke character hadn't been done justice. Right. And um, when you think about it for a moment, he spent you know the first 19 years of his life or whatever growing up on this farm on a planet in the outer rim and then he gets to an age and he realizes he meets this beautiful girl and i'm sure he had romantic feelings for her then at one point he realizes she's a sister now if you've been reunited with your family members uh in a situation like that you pretty much want to you're playing catch up for the rest of your life. You just want to spend as much time with them as possible, don't you? So, just in the first instance, JJ um, Abrams having Luke having exiled himself to a remote island somewhere where the first ever Jedi Temple is, um, it, it just you realize what a bad idea that was right from the start and how much has handicapped this whole trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't just skulk off like that and, and, and just say to hell with everyone. I tried. I tried. You're all screwed, you know. Um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't ring true. And again, it, it goes back to what Mark Hamill was saying. This this is not how he, how he imagined Luke Skywalker to be. Um, so going back to Kylo Ren, um, what did you make of the relationship between him and Rey? Because I, I thought that was quite interesting. Um, it would have been a lot more significant if as you suggested that they turned out to be siblings but where do you think they're going with that i don't know um they were almost hinting at some kind of um sexual tension were they i mean there's a bit where she tells him to put his shirt back on um but i mean invading someone's thoughts from you know billions of miles away um it's um you know that you know in Star Trek Nemesis, yeah. You know that scene where um, Counselor Troy has, I think she she's making love or something to Riker, is it? And then she has a dream where I don't remember that scene. <laughs> I, was, I can't remember exactly how it <laughs> how it plays out, but the character is it Shinzon, who's supposed to be a clone of Picard. Yeah, he invades her dream or something, and he's kind of there making love to her or something instead and she wakes up oh yeah yeah i remember saying vaguely like that yeah and then and then, and then she's flipping out and she's like uh yeah it was um it, it was oh, i can't remember the word she uses an invasion a violation uh, I don't know. violation exactly that's the word she uses and i thought to myself if there is any sexual tension at all between Ray and Kylo Ren, the fact that they keep appearing to each other almost involuntarily, um, and he sort of appears to her with his shirt off in one scene, um, it's just going into slightly st- strange territory for me. Yeah, um, I wonder if there is any sort of um, romantic undertones. Actually, that'd be one way to continue the, the Skywalker legacy. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but uh, did you just think of that now, actually? I, <laughs> or, yeah, I did. I just thought that now. Yeah. Yeah, it sounded like it. Yeah, you had, had an epiphany there. Yeah. Um, but then, 
I didn't see anything in his eyes when he was looking at her or talking to her of a sexual nature. I didn't see that at all. Yeah. So, but I, there was a couple of moments where I was like, is she kind of looking up to him? Is it almost like that she could fall for him? I was thinking that. Um, but then having said that, she's, she's kicked his ass twice, hasn't she now in a fight? So, um, yeah. Uh, which, <laughs> you know, could there be anything romantic after that? I don't know. Um, but it was certainly an, an interesting relationship. It was, they were doing things with those characters, which hadn't kind of been done in a Star Wars film before, which at least I thought was interesting. That was an example of where they were doing something, um, a little bit risky, a little bit different. And I kind of didn't mind where they were potentially taking it. Um, I mean, I like that moment, actually, the whole part when Ray goes back to, um, because she obviously, she, when they're, um, I've heard the term being used for Skyping um, um, and, and, and their hands touch and she sees um, an optimistic um, vision of his future. She, she insists on going to find him. Um, and when she does go to go to go to see him, um, I like that entire sequence um, in Snoke's throne room. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, like, you like the entire sequence. I did. Like, I did like the entire sequence. Um, and I like the moment when um, after after Kylo's wiped out Snoke, uh, the two sort of fight side by side and, and take on their Praetorian guards. And um, I, I like that moment. It the was, moment where the moment where they started fighting side by side and they're standing there. And they've each got their lightsaber. It almost looked like the cover of a comic, a Star Wars comic, where you, like, of the expanded universe or something. This is a good thing, by the way. Mm. Um, where, you know, like, where you see, like, I don't know, Jason Solo and his twin or whatever, uh, side by side fighting. It, for a moment, it looked like one of those comics. And it kind of looked good. I was like, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's, it's kind of an inversion. It's a different take on that scene from Return Jedi where. Luke and Vader are in front of the Emperor. Yeah. It's, um, not that it belonged necessarily in this chapter, a scene like that. Yeah, that was but, weird. I was that, that should have surely been in the last one. Yeah, exactly. But I, I didn't um I didn't mind what they were doing, but it was just the context within which they were doing it and then um the flippant nature with which they were doing things. It, it was a good scene in the wrong film at the wrong place and at the wrong time. Yeah, and, and I wasn't um, convinced with... So, obviously, the, the impression was that... Um, I don't know whether it was going, to be quite honest, it felt like um, Kylo had seen the light, to use a pun. Um, but then he's like, no, 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 why don't you join me and we can rule the galaxy. You know, we've heard it, we've heard it before. Um, yeah. And I thought it would have been cool if it wasn't convincing. Because I, I felt like he should have had a power trip. It, it, like like the guards, for example, might you know bow before him or whatever. And he realized, oh, sugar, I've got all of this power now. And that's far more attractive to me than listening to what this girl has to say. And then he turns on her. Um, so I, I don't think it end that that sequence ended in a convincing way, and I didn't like the way, way they they split Anakin's lightsaber in half. That's just disrespectful. That's just ridiculous. That is, yeah, yeah. After everything, after everything they went through to get it back, yeah, a story for another time, of course. As oh yeah, we're still, we're still waiting. We still didn't find out how Maz Kanata got that lightsaber. Yeah, but, yeah, I don't think we ever will. 
But yeah, to take such an iconic thing, which they brought back as a MacGuffin in the last film, sort of thing, and um, and yeah, to, to destroy it in the way they did was just yet another <laughs> disappointing thing. It's like, why have they done that? I mean, that's a, that's disrespectful to the mythology of the the, the, the original trilogy, the, the prequel trilogy. It's just literally just thrown away. It's just split in half, and that's it. And and I mean, I've got problems anyway with a non Skywalker wielding that lightsaber as you know, I, I think that, 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 that's silly and a missed opportunity. And I didn't like it even in the first of these sequel movies, force awakens where Finn had the lightsaber and he was using it, but to just literally destroy it like that. I, I wasn't happy with that. Um, so this, I, I think I'm just trying to summarize the movie now. And I, I think it actually tarnishes the original trilogy as, as much, well, both of them actually, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, as much as it tries to pay homage. Um, because what is the point of the events of the original trilogy now? I mean, the end of this movie, um, The New Republic, we never saw The New Republic anyway, but it's destroyed and Luke failed. He failed to restart the Jedi Order and essentially the first order is is a new empire and and i think the resistance even refers to themselves as rebels uh towards the end yeah. it's completely yeah. pointless yeah yeah i wouldn't disagree with any of that <laughs> I, I but it's okay for me in the sense that i i look at star wars as episodes one to six anyway like everything that's coming that this new trilogy if you like i've already kind of written it off so I don't look at it as how much it's tarnishing what's gone before. It's, I've, I've kind of accepted that they're morally corrupt, these movies. They're not coming from the place where they should be coming from. So I, I, I wouldn't spend any time sweating about that. I mean, it just kind of is what it is now, isn't it? I suppose so. But, I mean, where do you think they're going to go, though? I mean, they've got a lot to... A lot was sort of resolved in this in this movie, but the whole... If you think of the struggle between... I don't know, the Rebellion and the Empire, let's call them what they are, right? The Rebellion and the Empire. Um, that has to be resolved now in one movie. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the next one. I, I assume it, it should take place later, like years later. Um, I certainly can't do, you know, what I did with this one, you know, two days afterwards. Um, well, but that would just seem so strange that episodes seven and eight happen right you know, alongside each other, and then suddenly you're going to jump forward a number of years. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to take it, and they do have a lot of loose ends to tie up or to almost reinvent. But it's a consequence of how um, how little it means to me now that I'm really not that bothered. And I know that you said we'll be there, you know, to watch episode nine. And yeah, look, probably, but would we need to go out? Sorry, all out. I should say the way we usually would do for Star Wars film, not really. I'm, do you know what? I'm inclined to just turn around and say, like, I'll just watch it during the day at my local cinema on a, on a, on a modest size screen. It's not the big event for me anymore. You notice the, the cinemas are becoming smaller now. You know, you know, we, we went, we went uh, for the force awakens and all out with the IMAX then. Mm, okay. We downscaled it a bit <laughs> to, uh, was it Cine world? <laughs> downsized it all the way now to our local uh cinema yeah that, that, that's and I, I think i saw rogue one at my local cinema as well i didn't go all out for that as well it'd be interesting to see if that kind of apathy starts to spread within star wars because to a certain extent these films are critic proof aren't they i'm sure this film will make a lot of money but oh yeah yeah 
it'll be interesting to see if the money for it starts to tail off quite quickly. That will be interesting because I, I think it possibly won't. I think it's duped enough people into thinking it's a good film that they will spread sufficient word of mouth for it to keep doing um, the business that Disney wanted to do. I, I, I'm not sure if it will be affected, for example, by podcasts like this where we're decrying all of the shortcomings of, of the film. No, but I, I, I think um, it will influence, I was going to say it will influence the direction in which they, they, they take the next one. But then again, you've got to remember that none of this is planned. So if anyone out there has got any ideas on how to end this thing, you can always tweet JJ Abrams. You know, he hasn't even written the, uh, written, well, written put, put pen to paper and, and come up with a premise yet. Um, yeah, I suppose, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Look, uh, I'm sure there's loads of fan scripts out there already for episodes seven, eight and nine. I suppose what I'm really looking, what do you think are the odds, right? That Disney being Disney, cause they, they love nothing more than the dollar. Right? So, um, they'll be done with this trilogy. They'll make it. And then they'll make George Lucas's original treatments <laughs> for episode seven, eight and nine as an alternate episodes seven eight and nine and they'll market it as based on the george lucas treatments no never happened never happened yeah. but uh, they can just go off and they can make you know billions again can't they i mean they own those treatments I'm right secretly holding out hope that something like that would happen won't happen i mean they own those treatments that was part of the deal you know you turn them as those over to them I think they will use a lot of the ideas from them, but they will use them um, in spin-off movies, possibly Ryan Johnson's new trilogy, just replace the names of the, of the, of the backgrounds of the characters. I have heard, and I can't, I can't um, uh, vouch for this just yet, but I've heard in the um, art of the last Jedi movie and book, sorry, they released these books, like the art, the art of the last Jedi. They had the art of, um, the Force Awakens, etc. Um, quite a lot is revealed in there about uh, some of the ideas that George had. Um, I haven't read it; I've just heard that, so I'm looking out for that book so I can have a peek and just, just, just to see what what's there, what's revealed. Yeah, I don't know if I'll buy that book, but you're right; they do sometimes. Um, like the whole notion of Luke in exile, or on um, actually that that came from George Lucas. What, Luke in Exile? Luke in Exile, yeah. Apparently so. Oh, okay. And then, uh, um, uh, but I think it's, um, I mean, I don't know why. I don't know the reasons why, but it's um, his son. Because he had his son and Han and Leia have a, um, have, a, have a daughter called Kira. I think you mentioned this before. Yeah. And they and, and, and those two go looking for Luke or something like that. I don't know. I bet, and I bet they're at odds with each other or, you know. It's probably it's probably along those lines. But Luke was going to be quite prominent in episode seven, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and there was going to be a scene where Kira and him are swimming on this water world, looking through the uh, wreckage of the uh, Death Star where the debris. Yeah, it's actually Endor. It's actually on Endor, and um, um, the um, they're underwater, and and they find the. Um, uh, they're, they're looking for what's left of the Emperor's throne room to get uh, something that will give them a clue to Luke's whereabouts or something like that. But I, I must pick up these books and never read, actually, because I'm quite interested. I think that's the closest we're going to get 
at this stage anyway, to finding out what George was, what he had in mind. Mm. Yeah, see, that that's um, infinitely more interesting to me than uh, than what what they're going to serve up in episode nine. Yeah, that's, um, as you say, the, the likelihood is we'll never see those that trilogy. So uh, just going to have to suck it up and make do with this one. That's right. Um, I think I'm done. <laughs> I mean, it's, I could go on and on and on and, and, and moan about all sorts of other things like, you know, how the droids as R2 and 3PO were underused and all sorts of nonsense like that. But I won't. I think I'll give it a rest. Um, I, I feel, in a way, I feel bad that we've kind of spent the best part of well over an hour now, almost an hour and a half, just tearing this film to shreds but it doesn't seem like we're the only ones it hasn't gone down well at all um did you have well, any final thoughts or yeah we've i think look i think we've been fair that we've mentioned part things in it that we like things in it that work things in it that were good um but we have to be truthful i mean one of the things about this podcast even though it might only have a couple of dozen regular listeners but at least it's not compromised you know we um we, we, we've got absolutely no incentive to uh, not call a turd a turd. You know, it doesn't matter. There's no one pulling our strings, if you like. And, and, and you know, we, we, we're, we're two big Star Wars fans and we, we've just got to tell it like it is. And that's exactly what we've done. And I don't feel bad about tearing this thing to shreds because um, Disney sort of um, treating this property that we love in quite a trivial way just to maximize the you know profit margins and um that's the that's the big tragedy of it but um at least i suppose i, I did say at one point that i was physically actually shocked by what this film was doing as i was watching it um that's never happened to me in the cinema well not not for a while anyway um but i at least i can say i was braced for it because we kind of knew it was going to suck didn't we we all should have known better yeah so i take it there'll be no second viewing for you well not immediately anyway do you know what if i was channel surfing and it was coming on sky i'd still probably only watch five or ten minutes of it and then i just change the channel <laughs> and that says a lot because gone are the days where we used to watch these things repeatedly when they're in the cinemas you know five five six times maybe think of the prequels yeah, yeah. And, and if you're sitting there channel surfing in one of the um, what episodes one to six, if one of those is on, I'll pretty much sit there and watch a good chunk of it until I get dragged away from the TV for some reason. Um, but I, I just don't feel the same way about um, any of the uh, new movies, unfortunately. And, and, and in fact, you know, it's worth you just actually mentioning a very interesting anecdote that you mentioned where you asked your mum whether she wanted to watch it. And she's obviously not a big geek like us. She's a normal uh, mother of uh, you know, a very normal household. And even she didn't, she's, well, you tell the anecdote. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. She surprised me actually. Um, um, because um, she, she was aware that the new Star Wars movie was out and she, she used to enjoy, enjoy them. Um, and she says, you know, what? I'm not really interested in it anymore. It, 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 it feels different. It doesn't feel the same. They're always, um, there's always a new, quote words, always, always a new, new writer, a new director. And, and it's, it's not the same as before. So no, I'm not really interested. So it's interesting that she said that actually. That she, that she could have that insight. 
Yeah, she has that insight. She doesn't know who Ryan Johnson is. She doesn't. She doesn't know J.J. Abrams. She doesn't know those people at all. But to her, but it she feels recognizes. Different. Yeah. yeah, she recognizes Lucas's signature style, and she recognizes that it's gone. Yeah, and um, that's, so she's that's watched The Force Awakens. Just to explain, she's seen The Force Awakens. She didn't see it in the cinema. She saw it on 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 TV, I believe. But um, yeah, it, it, it hasn't. It doesn't feel the same to her. And that that says volumes really the um a casual film fan like your mum who's in a demographic completely different from what you and i are in mm. and even can kind of see that it's uh it's not the same as it was no we all miss george anyway on that cheery note <laughs> um <laughs> i'd like to um thank you thank you thank you all for listening uh to this very long edition of podcast and bearing with us Thank you so much, Bronson, for joining us again. Yeah, no, no, it's a pleasure, and uh, it's a bit of a slog this uh, this podcast. Hopefully, it's not too much of a slog to the uh, to our listeners who are who are who are listening to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if anyone if if anyone out there, if you've got, you've got any comments or or you um you know you feel differently or, or you totally agree, you know, drop us a line. Um, just to let you know, there are many ways you can drop us a line. Um, you can drop us an email at feedback at intersectioncast.com. Um, you can also use that email address to drop us a Skype voicemail. Um, and if you haven't yet subscribed yet, please do so. You can find instructions on our website, which is uh, intersectioncast.com. Uh, you can also find us on all leading podcast directories, including iTunes. And if you prefer to follow us using social media, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash intersectioncast or our Twitter account, which is at Let's Intersect. So thank you again, Bronson. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope you all have a fantastic Christmas. And Bronson, a Merry Christmas to you, too. Absolutely. Merry Christmas uh, to, to you and all our listeners. God bless and uh, Happy New Year. Brilliant. So everyone, have a good one. And have lots of fun. And until the next time, that's a wrap. The Intersection. Intersection.